have two readings tonight. Our first one is from Matthew chapter 5, the first 12 verses. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our second reading comes from Colossians, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Well, welcome to Soul Revival Church tonight. Uh, my name's Stuart. If I haven't met you before, it's lovely to have you here. Um, we've been enjoying travelling through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the, what we call the Beatitudes, meaning uh, his blessings, the many blessings Jesus talks about in that uh, section. And tonight we get up to blessed are the peacemakers for they shall inherit the earth. Sorry, no, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. I do apologise. Um, it's a very interesting um, verse that many Christians have discussed over many centuries. What does Jesus actually mean by being a peacemaker? Now, some people take Jesus quite literally at this point and um, this is where the concept of pa the pacifist comes from, someone who's a peacemaker who becomes a pacifist. Have you heard of the word pacifist before? It's not a very common word used these days. But a pacifist is a Christian position and sometimes other people are pacifists as well for other reasons. But it's often uh, begun with Christian positions of people who've heard Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be the children of God. Uh, called the children of God and they've taken that as a Christian cannot get involved in conflict or war and that's a pacifist position to not be involved in war and one of the most famous examples that comes to my mind is a man named Desmond Doss. Now Desmond was uh, growing up at a very difficult time in world history and he was coming of age at the time when the second world war broke out and so he became part of the American army but because of his Christian belief, he didn't believe in killing. So that's pretty difficult. You've joined the American army in World War II and you don't believe in killing. So what do you do? Well, Desmond actually had a really difficult time of it because uh, basically in basic training, he was under the command of a man called Sergeant Howell. Now, Desmond took his pacifist position so seriously that he wouldn't even touch a gun, let alone fire one, let alone kill someone else. So in basic training, what do you learn to do? Shoot a gun, you have to hold a gun, and what are you encouraged to do with a gun? Kill people. So what are all the people in your barracks doing? Touching guns, 
learning how to use guns, getting ready to kill people. Everyone in his barracks, everyone in his platoon were all learning how to do that, except Desmond. Now, he was happy to excel at the physicality of being a soldier. In other words, he was very happy to become very fit, and he did all the basic training stuff like running up hills and climbing over obstacles and all that kind of stuff. He was happy to do that. But because he wouldn't touch a gun, he became a pariah, whoa, a pariah amongst his fellow soldiers for refusing to handle a rifle. He also, because he was a Seventh-day Adventist, refused to train on Saturday because Seventh-day Adventists had their Sabbath on Saturday, not Sunday. So he wouldn't train on Saturday and he wouldn't touch a gun. And so Hal and his Captain Glover attempt to discharge Doss for psychiatric reasons. So they try and paint this guy to be a loony, crazy. They call him a loony. That's the terrible word they used in that time for someone who was considered to have a psychiatric problem. But Doss would not uh, actually uh, admit that, uh, you know, say, say that it was okay for him to be discharged. He didn't want to be discharged. He just didn't want to kill anybody. So because they couldn't get rid of him, they tormented him by putting him through gruelling labour and tried to drive him out or even through bullying. So at nights in his um, camp, they, the other soldiers were, who were also kind of being held back by DOS because they were being punished by their commanding officers because this guy DOS wouldn't touch a gun, they would, they would sneak up to him at night when he was asleep and beat him. And they would say, you need to leave this outfit. But he wouldn't, let, he wouldn't give up. He just stayed there. And he kept trying to love everybody even though they were doing all these things to him. They even tried to... Uh, court-martial him and when they tried to court-martial him he, he pleaded not guilty and they were just at a wit's end to know what to do with this guy well what they ended up what ended up happening was he ended up becoming a medic because he wouldn't touch a gun they couldn't get rid of him they couldn't even beat him out of the army they couldn't like through psychological distress get rid of him everyone bullied him and picked on him and he just he spent the whole of basic training not belonging basically and it was quite a big deal because um, the soldiers he was with were calling him a traitor, they were calling him um, un-American, they were calling him a coward, all these horrible words. And he just lived under this distress through the whole of basic training, but he wouldn't drop out. And what he wanted to do was become a medic. So he became a medic, and a medic, if you don't know what that is, is basically a soldier that's attached to a platoon that's there to help people when they get hurt. Now. He gets sent to Okinawa, which is one of the really difficult um, battlefields over in the Second World War. And when he was there, he was amazing because he had no regard for his own personal safety and he put first all these people who'd been so mean and horrible to him. So there was this terrible engagement called Hacksaw Ridge. They've made a movie about it and I'm going to show you a little clip from the movie in a minute. But at Hacksaw Ridge, the soldiers that had to climb up this big cliff on a rope and then go over and attack the enemy position. And heaps and heaps of soldiers got wounded and killed as they attacked the enemy position. And also the enemy soldiers also got killed and wounded. So this man, Desmond Doss, didn't just wait down the bottom of the cliff to find out who came back. He climbed up with the soldiers and ran around on the battlefield without a gun, people shooting at him as well, trying to save these people who'd been bullying him and treating him so terribly through basic training. He saved up to 13 people on the first day, including some of the enemy. 
he'd get an enemy soldier and he'd drag the enemy soldier to the edge of the cliff and then lower them down on a rope. And then he'd go and get another person, he'd get a, one of his, his, his own platoon, save them, and then lower them down this big cliff on a rope. His hands were so bloodied by that that he could hardly, hardly bear the pain of it. But he kept saving one person after another. And his prayer while he was doing that was, Lord, just one more, just one more. He'd run back into the battlefield and into the danger just to save one more person. And so here is this peacemaker in the middle of a battlefield because he'd heard Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And he would be rather called a child of God than fit in with everybody else and miss out on being a child of God. And in a, in a strange and beautiful way, it's because he felt like that that he saved the people who were insisting that he be like them, but he refused to. I'm going to show you this clip see what you think. What the hell is your delay, Captain? You were supposed to begin that assault 10 minutes ago. We're waiting, sir. Waiting for what? Private Doss to finish praying for us, sir. Private Doss is praying for you. Who the hell is Private Doss? Go to work. That scene is the most powerful moment in the movie because all of those men who are waiting for this man to stop praying before they go into battle are the men who used to pick on him at basic training. They're the men who used to insist that he pick up a gun. They're the men who used to beat him. But there he is, standing there praying. He didn't ask them to stop and wait for him. They just didn't want to go into battle until he was ready to go into battle with them. Isn't that an amazing testimony? The general rings up going, how come the battle hasn't started? I've commanded you to attack. And they're saying, we're waiting for Doss to finish praying. What I'm amazed at is this peacemaker is in the middle of a battlefield and yet he's been able to change the way people are thinking. And I think this is what's at the heart of what Jesus is trying to say. Blessed be the peacemaker, for they will be called the children of God. Let's actually think about what it is to be a peacemaker. What I want to do is turn to the actual passage and ask you to have a look in your Bibles with me at this passage. Um, it's in Matthew chapter 5 and it's verse 9. Now, Jesus is addressing his disciples and the crowds. And I want to just give you another context. We've talked about this a couple of times. But remember this, Jesus is preaching to his disciples while the crowds are there. Have you ever thought about that detail? Have a think about that. Jesus is preaching to his Christian disciples while the non-Christians are all around hearing everything he says. Even in his method, he's actually hoping that people will come and listen who aren't part of his group. And what he's talking about here when he talks about peacemaking could be basically as simple as don't take up arms and don't pick up a rifle. But there might be something even deeper Jesus is talking about here. Now, I don't disrespect Doss at all in his decision to be a pacifist, 
But I do want to say other Christians who have taken Jesus' words literally have not had that same approach to those kind of situations. So Christians do have different opinions. At Soul Revival Church, we often have people who have different opinions, and you might have different opinions to me tonight. Uh, From time to time, we actually have forums so that we can talk about those things that we, we disagree on. And in fact, one of the earliest forums we had at Soul Revival Church in the first year was about pacifism, should Christians go to war might be an interesting thing that we could talk about after the sermon. But I want to say here today, with due respect to Desmond Doss, I actually think there's something even deeper going on here where Jesus is talking about peace, not cessation of battlefields and wars on earth, but something a lot deeper. To help you to understand that, I want to turn to Psalm 34 verse 14, and I want us to have a quick look at that. Here the psalmist says, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So the peace that the Bible is talking about has some connection to turn away from evil and it has something to do with doing good. Now, at one level, that's common sense, isn't it? Like if you turn away from doing evil, you're not going to do violence against another person and you're going to be a peacemaker instead. That's what's doing good. Or is there something deeper at play? To help us to think that through, turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. If you've got a phone, you can, talk, you can go there real quick, but otherwise write it down and look at it later. For this is a real famous Christmas verse, Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, this is a prophecy about Jesus. So the Old Testament is talking about this idea of peace being disconnecting evil from your life. And also, peace has got something to do with Jesus. So let's bring those two things together by having a look at Jesus himself. Have a think of his ministry while he was on earth. Did Jesus ever lift a finger to hurt anybody? No. In fact, one of his disciples tried to cut the ear off a centurion when he came to be arrested, and he succeeded, chopped the guy's ear off. And what did Jesus say? (laughs) Gee down with the sword stuff, Peter. He leans down into the dirt, picks the guy's ear up, and puts it on his head. So in the life of Jesus, even when a follower used violence once in the ministry of Jesus, when Jesus was being arrested, Jesus reversed that violence. He's such a peacemaker that he actually stooped down and picked the man's ear up and put it back on his head. And because he is God, he fused that ear back onto that person's head. What's going on here is that we see a great example. And in some ways, people say, didn't Desmond Doss do the same thing as Jesus? He refused to use violence against other humans. And that is definitely true. But Jesus is actually teaching his disciples something even deeper. Now, Jesus does say, turn the other cheek. Jesus does talk about reconciliation, even with your enemies. In fact, he says, you've heard it said that it's good to love your friends, but I tell you, love even your enemies. Jesus is a pacifist in his life, and we can discuss whether that's an application we should have or not as a Christian. But what Jesus has come to do is actually to destroy violence and evil and strife in his own body. That's what he came to do. So Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker because he was willing to fight evil by allowing evil men to hang him on a cross and crush him. Now, 
Matthew 5.9 reminds us of the importance of peacemaking because Jesus' act on the cross is going to help us to understand how to put it into practice. But I want to ask you this question. How did Jesus bring peace when he allowed the Roman soldiers to kill him? How did that possibly bring peace? Did wars stop after Jesus did that? Did human beings stop being violent to one another? Jesus is described as the peacemaker in Isaiah, yet violence continues long after Jesus' death and resurrection. What is the peace that Jesus brings? Well, I want us to flick over to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, because I think the Apostle Paul has an insight here. It says here that Jesus came into the world to make peace. Now, pause there for a second. We've just said that he didn't bring peace. Now, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross. How many wars has there been in 2,000 years? Isn't there a war going on right now while I'm speaking? Aren't men in uniforms shooting each other across trenches in Europe again? Aren't there wars across Africa and people being violent to each other all over the world? Where's the peace? How is Jesus bringing peace? Well, Paul says he came into the world to make peace. So maybe he didn't get it right. Maybe he wasn't powerful enough to fully bring peace, just a little bit of peace. I've got to admit, when I was a young person, that's what I used to think. When I heard people calling Jesus the peacemaker, I used to think he gave it a good crack. That's a terrible thing for someone to think, isn't it? But that's, as a young person, that's what I thought it meant. But have a look at Paul's words here. He did it by shedding his blood on the cross. He brought peace by shedding his blood on the cross. And then he goes on, the Holy Spirit is the... Um, sorry, yeah, he's... Sorry, I, I jumped ahead. And he did it by shedding his blood on the cross. So he brought peace at that moment. He shed blood on the cross. But I've already said violence is still continuing in the world. So how did he bring peace? How does one man's death lead to peace? One man can make a big difference, don't get me wrong. Look at Desmond, that whole army waiting before he finishes praying, before they'll attack, because they were too afraid to go into battle without their medic going with them, who was incredibly brave. But the thing that's really important to get from Jesus' words in Matthew and also here in Colossians, Paul's thoughts, is Jesus brings peace, first of all, with us and God. See, the thing that lies behind Jesus' words is Jesus knows that the big war that we are in as human beings is not just the one that we're in with each other, but the one that each of us is in with God. Because since Adam and Eve, human beings have been at war with God. That's quite confronting to think about, but that's what the scriptures teach. Right from the very beginning, Adam refused to do what God said and so was cast out of the, the garden and then all his descendants, all of us, have rejected God's will for our lives. And we've rather lived in the world than lived for God. We'd rather be worldly and sinful than live for God. But the thing about Jesus' death is that when you go to war with God, who wins? Is it an even match? Imagine if I had six nuclear weapons at my disposal, three nuclear submarines, 100,000 soldiers, 
600 planes, 50 tanks, three aircraft carriers. And I stood at the head of that mighty army and I looked up at God and I shook my fist at him. Do you think I'd beat him? <laughs> no way. Are you kidding? When you think about it, there is no way a human being can fight a war with God and win. We all lose. Yet we all do. Now, you might be sitting there tonight going, Stuart, that's a big call. I don't feel like I'm at war with God. I don't remember, remember sending the delegation from my embassy to the heavenly embassy declaring war on heaven. I didn't do that. I just live in my life, doing what I think is right, getting about my day, doing what's good for me, being happy. Don't actually talk to God. I don't care what he thinks. And as you start thinking about it, then you start thinking, actually, I'm actually prepared to live in ways he doesn't want me to live. In order to fit into the world that I live in, I'd rather be like my non-Christian friends and live like them than live like God. That's called rebellion. By not actually living God's way, we are rebelling against God's way. I'll give you an example, a really simple example. When I was really, really young, I was in year 11, my friends came to me in a delegation in the playground at Kirrawee High School, three mates. And they came up to me and they said, we're going to go to captains on the weekend. That was a, a club. I don't know if it's still there, I'm not sure. And we want you to come with us. And if you don't come, you're not part of our friendship group anymore. Now, that was pretty hardcore because for years they'd been giving me, me the impression that unless I did what they wanted to do, I couldn't fit in. But all of a sudden, I'm faced with a similar problem as Desmond Doss. Do I fit in with my friends and go to the club and have a few drinks? It's not the end of the world. They had a fake ID for me. It was before computers, computers. We had little blue licenses. And you could take someone's blue license and scratch their name off it and write your own name on it. And to be honest, the club knew you were underage, but they didn't care, so they just wanted to sell you alcohol. My mates had this blue piece of paper and they said, are you gonna come with us? That blue piece of paper might as well have been a rifle to me. Because in one way, it wouldn't have been the end of the world if I went and had a couple of drinks at a pub underage. But I thought to myself, I'll be breaking the law. And I know from the Old Testament that God says, don't get drunk. And what my mates were saying is not come and have a drink with us, but come and get drunk with us. The Bible also says in the Old Testament, don't drink like a drunkard. In other words, don't go and be the big man and carry on and talk crass and stuff. But I knew my mates would go to the pub and drink like that. The third thing that Old Testament teaches us is don't drink with drunkards. I don't know if you've ever read those passages and I deliberately haven't given you any verses because sometimes I like to give you some fun stuff to go and look up for yourself to see if I'm right. See if you can prove me wrong. That's kind of fun to do that to the preacher sometimes. If I went to the pub with them, I'd be breaking the law and I'd be also breaking God's law. But do you know the other thing? They were saying to me, we will only be your friend if you be like us. And from a very early age, my parents had taught me that that's called worldliness. And they taught me that you don't want to be a worldly Christian. Do you know what that means? Don't be a Christian that fits in with everybody else. 
Don't be an invisible Christian and don't be a Christian who just acts like everybody else to earn their favour because at the end of the day, you won't earn their favour and you're in danger of being at war with God as well. Well, my friend said to me in the playground, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm not coming to the pub with you. And dead set in year 11, I lost my three friends. And I spent the next two years with no mates at school. And I was devoted. I wasn't going around going, look at me. I didn't stand up in e-block and pray in the whole of e-block, wait for me to finish praying before we went into science. They just jeered at me and laughed at me. But I thought to myself, I can either blend in with everybody else and be at war with God because they're going to ask me to do things that God doesn't want me to do, or I can live at peace with God. Now, how did Jesus bring us peace with God the moment he died on the cross? He took the punishment for everything we deserved. So all the bad stuff I've done that has put me at enmity with God and made me an enemy of God, Jesus took the punishment for all of that in his self, in his body, on the cross, so that if I put my faith in Jesus, I will be forgiven and I will be friends with God instead of be enemies with God. The peace that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 is blessed are the peacemakers. You can only be a peacemaker if you're already at peace with God. And it changes the way you read that passage because a peacemaker is someone who's at peace with God and then is willing to actually stand apart from everybody else in the world in order to reflect the peace of God to other people. So by being a conscientious objector, by being a pacifist, you are a peacemaker and you don't even have to say anything. By simply saying, no, I'm not going to go to the pub, I don't need to fit in with you, I'm a peacemaker. And rather than being an enemy of God, peacemakers are friends with God. And they're actually more than that, they're children of God, Jesus says. Now, Jesus is the first religious leader to ever say that a human being could be in God's family. Jesus is the first teacher to ever say that a human being could call God Father. Jesus is the first religious leader to say, you don't have to earn anything, you don't have to do anything to earn God's favour, you just have to trust me because I've done it. Jesus sacrificed himself to give us peace with God and it's so exciting as it is. But to be even more exciting, we get to be peacemakers. That means we get to share the peace of Jesus with other people. But the first step in sharing the peace of God with other people if you want to be a peacemaker and help others to be at peace with God too, because that's what a peacemaker is, a peacemaker has to be a conscientious objector first. Now, has everyone caught what that conscientious objector is from that Desmond Doss thing? He consciously objected to picking up a gun. That silly little example cost me so much when I was a kid. I would have loved to have gone and have a beer and just have my friends and be a Christian too. But my conscience meant that I had to object to that. And sometimes we think that's a bad thing, but I want to tell you tonight it's a good thing. When you as a Christian say no to the world, it's absolutely awesome because you're doing it because you care about your relationship with Jesus more than you care about your relationship with anybody else and you're not going to let anybody else tell you how to live because you want God to tell you how to live. In Matthew 3.16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of peace. And when Jesus died on the cross for you and you put your faith in him, the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. 
The spirit of peace is there as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance as a child of God in eternity so you know you're going to go to heaven. And you can say no to the world because you know you're going to heaven. It has been a very constant awareness of Christians right through the centuries that in order to be a Christian, we have to be countercultural. We have to be different. And I just want to say, particularly to you young crew tonight, there are going to be times where it's really hard to be a Christian and people are going to laugh at you and people are going to try and get you to do the things that they do. I have no idea what people try and get you to do these days. I'm sure it's not giving you an underage ID on a piece of paper to go to captains. That's for sure. It's probably more sophisticated than that. probably has something to do with technology or something, probably. But what I'm saying is, if you find yourself saying no to something because it goes against your conscience, you're a peacemaker. And even though you might never have that experience Desmond Doss had, you might have a similar experience because your friends might see you not needing to fit in and go, gosh, I wish I was like you. Micaiah goes into a, into a group of blokes at school and they're telling a dirty joke. It's a bit risque. And, and Micaiah turns around. He hasn't done this. I'm just saying, imagine. He turns around and he walks away. And they laugh at him. What? Oh, you're Christian. You can't sit and listen to a joke, eh? How weak are you? He's like, oh, yeah, no worries. You do your jokes, whatever. And then the next day, they're teasing someone else and Micaiah doesn't get involved. Now, they may or may not turn on Micaiah, but they're going to notice that he's different. And they're going to notice something else too, that he's a safe person. I think part of our witness as Christians is to not do what everybody else is doing in order to share the gospel. Now, we need to give an account of our faith and tell people about Jesus for them to become Christians. But the first step is to decide, am I going to live my life as a Christian or am I going to have a foot in both camps? Am I going to have a foot in the church and a foot in the world or am I just going to live as a Christian? Years ago, my family went on a holiday to Gosford and we hired a boat. And my dad and my brothers were putting the stuff in the boat and this is the first time as a family we've ever gotten a boat. And this is my memory. So I have to ask my mum later because it might be constructed memory, but I think this is what happened. My mum was worried that the boys were in the boat and dad was on the wharf and she was worried that we were going to float away and die. So she held onto the wharf and, on, and had her feet in the boat at the same time so that dad could get in the boat and so she could get in the boat so we didn't float away and die. But the problem was the boat wasn't tied up properly and it was slowly moving away from the dock. Is this a correct memory, Bev? She's nodding. So the boat's going away from the dock. She's trying to hold onto the boat and the wharf. And we're all watching on. And even as a kid, I could see what was going to happen. If she didn't either jump onto the wharf or let go of the boat, she was going to go in the drink. And the boat got further away from the wharf. And she's not very tall, so it didn't have to go very far. But she actually went boom, splat into the water. And we all laughed hilariously. But you know, that's exactly what happens to us spiritually. If you want your friends to love you and to live for God too, you'll come to points in your life where you have to make a decision. Am I going to be countercultural and be a conscientious objector? Or am I going to, what am I going to do? Let go of the wharf or the boat? Or I'm going to go in the drink? You can't have a foot both way. And unfortunately, mostly people who try and live in the church and in the world at the same time often choose the world over the church. It's a very dangerous place to be to try and get your friends at school to love you as much as you want Jesus to love you. 
But what did Jesus say? He said, anyone who gives up on this earth anything will get everything back in heaven and even more on earth. So here's the thing. In year 11, I lost three friends. By the age of 25, which I think is about seven years later, I had 500 friends. Because I thought to myself, I might as well be a minister. I might as well just be a Christian minister and decide to be a youth minister. And so many people came along to our youth group that I had more friends than I can even put in a phone book. And Jesus gave me that. And I want to ask you tonight, do you, do you know Jesus said, I'm going to give you life and life to the full? Do you think Jesus is going to let you miss out on anything? Of course he's not. But you're going to come to a moment in your life where you're going to have to make a decision one way or the other. Jesus also told a parable about that where he said it's like the pathway to heaven is narrow and few people find it and the pathway to hell is wide and many people travel it. There's a very much loved Christian story called Pilgrim's Progress. It's a very old story and I want to say... Young people, it's not just your generation that has to make a choice between Jesus and your friends sometimes. There's a guy called Christian who comes up to a thing called the Wicket Gate and he explains that he's not sure if he can actually get to heaven on the road. It's a parable. And he meets a person there called Mr Wildly World's Wisdom who tries to say, don't worry about being too serious about this Christianity stuff because you can have both. And he offers him this big wide path to walk down, which he says is easier. But then there's this other guy he meets called Goodwill. And he says, you know what? The narrow way was established by Jesus. And it's a straight path straight into heaven. Which one are you going to choose today? And Christian decides not to listen to worldly wise, who says you can be a Christian and have everything in the world. And he goes, you know what? I don't care. I don't care if I lose everything in this world. I'm not picking up that rifle. I'm not even going to touch it, let alone fire it and then use it to hurt someone else. I'm just going to be different. And the result is Jesus uses that kind of stuff. To finish tonight, my favourite artist in the whole world is a guy called Larry Norman. And he sings a song about this that I want to give to you, even if you think it sounds like a daggy song. And I know I've gone a little bit over time tonight, and I apologise to the kids and the cooking team. But I just want to play this song by Larry Norman. And I want you to ask yourself while you listen to this song if I was Christian would I choose the world and Christianity it's a lie or am I willing just to follow Jesus and give up anything for him because if you can make a conscious decision to follow Jesus no matter what tonight this week when people ask you to compromise you'll be prepared and that's what I'm trying to get you ready for this week be prepared And if adults, you think we've got it all sorted, and if young people, you think adults have got it sorted, I tell you, it gets more complicated the older that you get. We get tempted to compromise every single day. But as you listen to this song, I want to invite all of you to think, are you willing, if two roads diverge in the middle of your life and you have to pick the good godly way over the worldly way, which decision are you going to make? Have a listen to this song. Thanks, Ethan. Now, that was super daggy. The graphics were daggy, the song is 50 years old, but do you get what I'm saying? It's beautiful, isn't it? To be a children of the Lamb. I want to encourage you with that, because I think you'll remember that this week, that song, and those images, especially buff Jesus holding a baby with tattoos. Super daggy.
But I wanted to show you that because if someone calls you daggy this week for being a Christian, not that anyone calls you that these days, but you know what I'm saying, you can think to yourself, Stuart's even daggier than me. He showed a daggy video in front of 100 people and he wasn't ashamed. And that's just a little memory I want to share with you so that you might be encouraged this week that if you have to make a decision between your friends, the world and Jesus, pick Jesus. One way.